Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. It's so good to be with all of you once again. And in this episode of the podcast, I am going to interview Stephen Shields all by himself. In the last episode, I interviewed him and his wife, Kayla, and they told their story and talked a lot about their journey. And so if you want to get to know them better and his story, feel free to go back to the previous episode and take a listen. And in this episode, Stephen and I are going to speak more specifically to the matter of telling stories and combating shame and using stories as a way to reduce shame and to improve your own personal recovery. Building an authentic community around those struggling with pornography addiction and betrayal trauma is essential for recovery. And so Stephen, who is with Unashamed Unafraid, that's his nonprofit foundation that he started to not only tell stories and also provide treatment support to those who need financial assistance. Stephen shares his experience of hearing how many couples have shared their stories of addiction recovery. And we discuss why it's important for those struggling to share their stories and how to do it in a safe and healing way. And we also are going to discuss strategies for spouses and family members to help invite those with addictions to share their stories. I'm grateful for Stephen and his efforts to not only share his own story, but to create a place where people can share their stories. This is such delicate work, and there's a lot of fear, and I appreciate people who are willing to come forward with courage and share, even though they are in the middle of their own mess and their own recovery and trying to just move forward one day at a time. I think it takes tremendous courage and bravery to do that, and I'm so grateful for people like Stephen and others who are willing to do that. So let me introduce you to Stephen Shields. Well, welcome back to the Illuminate Podcast, Steve. I've got you just by yourself this time. Yep. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Glad to be back with you here. And this time, instead of just going deep into your story, which we did in the previous episode, and by the way, listeners, if you haven't listened to the previous episode where Steve and his wife, Kayla, tell their story, it's raw, it's important to hear, and you know this might actually help you get a little more context for what we're going to talk about today. So I invite you to go listen to that. But Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about sort of some how-tos and just some more maybe deeper understanding about storytelling and transparency and authenticity, not from a performance standpoint, but from an honest, you know, just humble, open standpoint. Because as you alluded to in the last podcast, Steve, so many guys that are in active addiction and trying to, you know, deal with this, they become a performance. And that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about how to deliver the perfect story. Right. This is about how to strip it all off and just be honest and open. So as far as telling stories, we'll talk about that. But I also really quickly, before we dive into the kind of the details of that, I'd love for our listeners to understand a little bit more about this Unashamed Unafraid organization, if if that's what you call it, that you've started gathering stories and, and as part of your recovery. Can you share more about that? Yeah. So when I first started recovery and I'm a current recovering addict, so I'm not a done wrapped up story. And just want to make sure I put myself in that context that I haven't fully performed in case anyone needs to make sure. But right. And so when I first started recovery, I went to an intensive at Lifestar in Salt Lake and I heard a couple Chris and Autumn share their story. And that was the biggest thing that changed my recovery because I was like, 
these are normal people. Like I remember calling my wife and I'm like, they're just normal. Like they're not pretty perfect people. Like they're super normal. And I don't know how he's done it, but this guy's like six years sober. And then his wife was here and I drilled her with questions too. And like, they're for real. Like it's possible. I don't know how they're doing it, but it's possible. So the hope that filled me and then a couple of years into my recovery, I realized everyone is so ashamed about this that you can get, you know, a situation like this, right? Where therapists are talking about it. There's some blogs and podcasts out there of wives kind of trying to deal with it and some church stuff. And But you rarely hear from the addict while they're currently in recovery, almost never. So I decided to rip that Band-Aid off. And so I said, I'm going to start Unashamed and Afraid podcast and blog and we and share my story and start sharing and collecting other men's and couples stories. And I'm going to share intentionally when I do not have two years of sobriety and I'm on the other end, because I want to invite everyone to start getting into recovery and deal with their recovery and talk to those that they need to. So that was kind of the whole premise. So what we do now is we do three things mostly. We share couple stories primarily. So you'll continue to hear on our podcast, couple stories like mine and Kayla's. And then we, you can submit anonymous questions to us. So if you have a question you want to ask that you can't ask anywhere else, you can submit it to us anonymously. And then we'll have, you know, someone like you, Jeff, or other couples in recovery, the right people on that episode to answer those anonymous questions. And then we'll do resource episodes too, talking again with therapists and other people about resources that they can do. And so that's podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening here, Unashamed, Unafraid. And then we kind of blog those episodes as well, have a bunch of resources on our website. And also what we've done this year, which we're excited about, is we filed for our nonprofit status. And so you can now subscribe for some bonus content and cool things. And what we're going to do with that money is pay for the podcast and then pay for people to go into therapy. So then if we get an email from someone in St. George that says, I really want to go to Jeff's clinic, but I can't afford it. I only have $100 and it's $500. Then we can take $400 of donated money and pay for those people to enter recovery because we've done a little bit of that. And that's just been an incredible experience for us because there's some amazing people who are ready to deal with recovery who just can't afford it. So we're just guys in recovery. There's five of us. I have a team of four other guys who are all recovering addicts, several of them with much more sobriety than me but are awesome. And so we're all just kind of working together to, yeah, to get unashamed about sharing stories about addiction recovery and getting out into the light so people can heal. Right. And I assume at some level that the podcast and the blog and just sort of this public thing, you know, it's, it's all live in real time. I assume it has to create some level of accountability where you're like, well, I could go on there and just pretend and fake that I'm doing better than I really am, or I can just stay in the moment yep. and just share where I'm at. Right. I mean, does yep. that create that for you? Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so this year, our bonus content episodes are going to be me and James, who's also his stories on the podcast, him and his wife. He's like me where he's had a lot of years of recovery, but hasn't quite figured out sobriety and found that healing. So he and I are going through the 12 steps to kind of humble ourselves and surrender. So our bonus content episodes are going to be actually me and him going through the 12 steps. And it's right. been interesting because so many people are worried about sharing their story with their spouse, with their children, with family members, with those they go to church with until they're fixed. I don't want to share my story until I'm 100% better, then I'll share it. And mm -hmm. what a huge mistake that is. Right. Let's talk about it in past tense and then I can be the hero of the story mm -hmm. and I can be the victor and I don't have to be in this vulnerable place of the struggler, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, I mean, that's, you know, kind of what we're talking about is 
share that story? How do you share that story? And I don't believe that everyone should do what I'm doing and just be like crazy public. Like Kayla will joke, like, we'll be getting gas at Costco and you'll just look at the guy freaking across the way and be like, what's up, dude? You look at porn? I've totally struggled with it. You want to talk about it? I got this website. Like, that's me. Like, (laughs) not not everyone needs to be in that place. I'm not saying you need to stand up in church and be like, hey, I've been through church discipline and I'm a current addict. Whoever wants to talk about it. But what I would tell you is sharing story, there's a couple good ways to do that. And it almost always, almost always, not all the time, goes a lot better than people think. Oh, yeah. That's totally been my experience. And I love what you said there. I I don't think it's everyone's calling to go public. I remember I was talking with Real and Steve Croshaw with SA Lifeline when they went public with their story, you know, more than 10 years ago, and they felt called to do it. It wasn't something that either one of them ever imagined they would ever talk about publicly. And, And so they felt drawn to it. They felt like they needed to do this. It was something that was they were almost kind of pushed into spiritually. And a lot of the couples and individuals I've talked to over the years who have been public with their stories have a similar type thing. They feel they feel sort of pressed to do it. They feel like if they don't do it, then they wouldn't be true to their own recovery. But at the same time, I also know that there's a lot of people out there who, if they're just honest with their story with just a few people in their support network, and they're truly open and honest and authentic about it, that's enough. That's what they yep. need to stay in recovery. Has that been your experience? Totally. And The only plug I would throw in here is if, as we're talking about this right now, you are saying to yourself, I feel what the Croshaws feel. And as I'm listening to this, maybe I should share my story publicly. My email is steven at unashamedunafraid.com or james at unashamedunafraid.com. Send me an email. We'll do it. But yeah, it's about having community is the word I would use. So an interesting perspective I would say I have is I've heard a lot of people's recovery stories. And a theme that I have seen is those who recover have a strong community around them, meaning these are people who know the whole story, know it currently, and are actively engaged in the individual's life, both the addict and the betrayal trauma recovering spouse, both. So both need community. And I did a presentation with Kirk Franken for his summit, which was amazing, by the way. If you haven't watched his summit, it's incredible. Your session was awesome, by the way. It's one of my favorites, actually. So I kind of showed a graph. And what people don't understand is you do have community. You just choose who's around you. Awesome. So there's no... People think there's this neutral that I can work on addiction by myself. I kind of have to disclose to my wife. And then me not telling anyone is neutral. There is no neutral. So if you believe in Christ's gospel, whatever lens you see it, we are at war. There are two sides of this. There's someone trying to get you off the bus. There's someone trying to get you on. And so when you choose to isolate, you're favoring addiction behavior. Behavior thrives in secrecy addiction, right? So when you've been through church discipline and then you have a family blessing, right? Someone's blessing their baby, right? Your brother, cousin, whoever is blessing their baby. And you and your wife are sitting there trying to figure out how to avoid the fact that they're going to ask you to come up and bless the baby, but you're not worthy. Does that sound neutral to you, Jeff? (laughs) Exactly. So there is no neutral. So that's the thing that when I talk to people, I tell them is there's no neutral. You either are going to have isolated, bad community with the adversary and his influences, or you can have community in the light. It takes courage to choose community in the light, but you don't, there's no middle ground. So either it's one or the other. There's isolation or there's openness, right? There's authenticity or there's faking it. You can't hang out in some middle ground. 
Now, it takes time and it's with the right people in the right place, which we can talk about. But I think that's a key thing for people to understand. There is no neutral. Yeah, I love that. That's a great reframe. And I agree with the community thing. I think that your community can be a community of two people Mm -hmm. or it can be the world, right? If you're podcasting or, or going public with it. But you know, you're obviously a really extroverted, charismatic, open person just in general. I mean, anybody, you know, like you said, like your problem is is often shutting up, right? Like you kind of joked about that in the last episode. You're like, yeah, my challenge is to not talk as mm-hmm. much. But here you are, somebody who was, you know, by just sort of temperament and personality, just super open, but yet you were so closed about the truth about what you were really doing. Mm-hmm. And so this has nothing, telling your story has nothing to do with personality or temperament. It has to do with courage, right? I mean, that's, that's really what this is about. A hundred percent. James, who helps me run the podcast, is the exact opposite of me personality-wise. And his community is huge. And so he just, it's, it's one-to-one. It's a side, you know, I'm at Costco yelling at the guy across the gas pump. For him, it's a one-on-one conversation after going to lunch with a guy three or four times and kind of filling out. So you can be an introvert, you can be an extrovert, you can be anywhere on that spectrum, that's fine. I think the key is to make that leap somewhere and to make sure that you've invited God into that process and that there's safety. So Brene Brown says, you only share your story with those who are worthy to hear it. And that is super true. So I just had a young man I was talking to who is 18. So he's not 12, he's 18. He's three or four months away from moving out of his house and going to college. And his parents are super not safe. I won't have to get into all the details, but they are not a safe place for him. They're very shaming, very judgmental. They are not going to help him get resources. They're not going to help him get help. What they want him to do is not have a problem. Don't have a problem. Just stop having a problem is the dialogue that he's gotten. So do I think that he should be fully authentic with his parents at this point in time? No. Do I think he needs to be fully authentic with someone? Yes. And he's found some adults in his life who know his whole story, who he's been authentic with, some friends of his that he's been authentic with. So he's found those pieces. And so safety is key. Too often, I think we just think, oh, whoever those default people are in your life, those are the people you tell. And I I don't agree with that at all. I think there are certain people you need to tell your story to because you have to be honest with them. So for this young man, yes, he will have to be honest with his parents at some point in time, probably sooner rather than later. But are they the key, you know, those one or two people in his community? No, they're not. So I think the first key is when you're going to share your story, take that in prayer and make sure that you're sharing it somewhere where you believe that there is safety. The tragedy is when you think there's safety and then there's not. Right. And sometimes that'll happen. I'll just be honest. That's a risk you have to take being vulnerable. Is that sometimes- you can't know that from the beginning. (laughs) I mean, you can, you know, it's a calculated, you know, risk, but you can't really ever predict how somebody's going to respond to your story. Or if they're in hiding and they've got secrets, that's been my experience is that you know, a lot of times people will open up to somebody else, even a church leader who uh-huh. hasn't done their work or they, uh-huh. you know, they're conflicted and they have all these challenges. And all of a sudden they become the most shaming person in the world because it's, you know, pricks their conscience or triggers them to realize that they're totally fake. I mean, I, I've seen it all. Yep. And so you got to recognize that when you take that risk to open up to somebody like that, you know, you don't know what you're going to get, but it's still worth the risk. And, and the thing is, is I, I think the safest places for people in general, are going to be, you know, there's obviously exceptions to every rule, but in general, you know, therapists who are trained in these issues, you know, 
that's a professional setting, but absolutely like you're probably going to have a pretty good likelihood that that's going to go well. But, you know, and and for some people, church leaders, sometimes family members, but you got to really slow that down. And in my experience, build a really good secure base. And then from the safety of that place, even one other person, you can start to evaluate who else you might want to pull into that, if anyone else. Yep. But you got to start with somebody. You can't just keep weighing the risks and trying to manage this from a distance. You have to jump in and start talking about your story. Yep. And my recommendation is to not start with family. Right. Because right. that's usually the highest risk. So I would say find, you know, you know, some random strange person. That's, all, you know, the first. So one of my really good friends, we went to college together. We both were in the same job profile. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just take the risk because if he rejects me, then we just won't be friends and we're not that good of friends anyways. So low risk. Okay. Let's yeah. Try it. Yeah. So I, like that. I was like, met him in his office one day. I'm like, Hey, you want to hear a crazy story? And he's like, sure. And I'm like, boom. He ended up being an accountability partner for me for almost a year, was like just this really good friend and super helpful. But you know, I had another one of my best friends, one of my best friends from my mission. I sat with him through a lot of tough stuff. And when this came out, I can remember the day as sure as I'm sitting here with you, Jeff. I sat down with him, told him my story, all that. We went to lunch and he basically told me, I'm just going to give you space till you figure all of this out and essentially ended our friendship. And Mm. that was a heartbreaker for me. I've had the same experience with church leaders. I have a previous bishop of mine that I still meet with probably once a month, once every six weeks. We just go get some food and I, because we connected. I had uh, one bishop when I was disfellowshipped. I remember going home from the first meeting and crying to Kayla and being like, I will meet with him because I'm disfellowshipped and I have to if I want to get back into the church. He is not going to help me. That is not. And the connection just wasn't there. So you'll experience some of each, but what I would say is, the more you start to build that base that you're talking about, Jeff, the easier it gets to share. And so I'm not a perfect example of a lot of things. I think I have done a good job of building community. I have probably about five to 10 men, Jeff, that if I go off the radar for two to three weeks, they will call me, show up at my house, show up at my work and say, what's going on with you? Why haven't I heard from you? Are you okay? And because they know my authenticity, they know the counterfeit as well. Right. They know when you pull back and when you start to go into isolation or performance mode. Yep. I think it was Mark Laser, who the author and actually recently passed away. He's written some great stuff. One of his best books is Seven Principles for Highly Accountable Men. And one thing he says in there is that every man in recovery should have at least five to six men who knows his story, who he can call at any time. Because if you can't get a hold of the first one or the second one or the third one, you've got people that surround you that know your story, like you said, who aren't going to just let you tell them something else. Like They absolutely know the reality of it. So yeah, I love that. I think that band of brothers and for the women listening who are struggling in addiction, definitely want to be inclusive here. The same principle applies. This is not something that you know just men need. Women tend to have more networks, but when you're talking about shame, you're talking about these the shame story Uh, sexual issues and things like that. I think in some ways, in my experience, women tend to go more underground with it than men do. Oh, they're much much worse at building community because they feel a larger pressure to perform. Right. And so So, there's more judgment there and there's more, but it's interesting to me, they need it as much as men need it. Absolutely. I've seen that with Kayla and with other women. And because those people hold you, you know, when I, you know, had my affair last January, the disruption was one of my guys showed up at my office and he said, 
that same friend that I met at you and said, so I think you're off. Something's off. And I remember going to the bathroom and saying, am I going to lie to him or are I going to tell him the truth? Oh, that's how it came out? He that's how it came out. It? Absolutely. Guy just showed up. Oh, wow. God inspired him. He was driving by and he's like, I feel like I need to stop by and see him. And he's like, I talked to you two days ago and it felt a little weird. And it's kind of been bothering me ever since. And then I was literally driving by your office and God tapped me on the shoulder. So what's going on? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I mean, you know, stuff's still been a little bit hard, blah, blah, blah. And I remember I had to get up to go to the bathroom because I, I couldn't sit in the room with him. And I was like, okay, am I going to put this together and be an addict and lie about it? Or am I going to be honest? And so that's why the community is so important. And also, you know, I look at, so like at least half my ward knows I'm excommunicated and that's helped Kayla so much with her community, right? And building her community that she's not alone. And, you know, both my neighbors who live on both sides of me, they know the whole story, their wife's know the whole story. So if Kayla's offering a day, she can she can get that support. And I think that's probably the other side of this that's a lot of listeners you probably have are talking or not from the addict's perspective, right? There's our invitation for the addicts need help, but how do I get an addict to share his story and how do I allow them to let me into their community? And I think there is a couple key ways that you can do that. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I think the first is people, as you know, being honest is not a light switch, right? You go into the bishop's office and you're like, I struggle with porn. They're like, while you're here, is there anything else? What you and I know, Jeff, is they're never, you're never going to disclose everything the first time you talk to someone because honesty is not a light switch. It's, it's a skill right. and it's hard to grow that. So when you approach someone, if you've caught them, if you know they're in recovery, if you suspect something, don't approach them with, okay, just dump the whole thing on me so we kind of know where the bottom is. It, it does not create safety. That's not or this a is your creator. one chance. And is if your... you don't tell me everything right now, right? It's just, but it's, that's different. And I'll just, again, I'll qualify this. Like it's, it, it's different. For a lot of women, a lot of spouses, you know, or betrayed husbands, like they, they feel that urgency of like, uh-huh. I need to make a decision about this relationship. I need to know if I'm safe or not. So I need you to tell me everything right this second. But really what we're saying here is in reality, coming out of shame, coming out of hiding and learning how to be honest is a muscle that has not been exercised. And in it, they're so deconditioned that you can't really ever expect to get that the first round, which is terrible, right? You want that. Of course you do. And it's, and it's unfair, but it's something that is just the way it is. And they have to take responsibility for learning how to do that. And hopefully sooner than later. Well, and that's where, that's where you have to rely on God's grace, because I can say gravity doesn't work for me, but tough, right? <laughs> so, so like, it, it, you know, like I agree with you, the fact that an addict can't be hundred percent honest, the fact that any spouse has had a spouse who has addiction and lies about it at all is extremely unfair to that other spouse, period. Totally. They've just been yep. wronged. They're a victim. End of conversation. But it doesn't change the reality that you can't just say, tell me everything and get it because you never will. So yes, you're the victim. Yes, that's unfair. So I really like Terry Reel's work about marriage. And I love his quote, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? And so do you want to be right or do you want to get to the truth? If you want to get to the truth, a good example of this is with Chris and Autumn. Autumn went to Chris and said, Chris, you do not have to tell me everything. All I want to know is, is there more? And if you say, yes, there is more for right now tonight, I'll drop it. All I want to know is, is there more? Is there something going on? that I don't know. Just yes or no, and you can leave it at that. And because she created some safety, Chris said, yep, there is. 
And she really honored that boundary. And then guess what happened? Chris disclosed everything like two days later. Because once she created that safety and invited him into that safety, the snowball starts moving. Because most addicts are not happy with being addicts. They're not like, sweet, I'm getting away with lying, cake and eating it too. Yes. They desperately want that community. They just believe that if people knew the truth about them, no one would love them. So any way that you can attack that shame in your own way. So that's the way Autumn did it. Hey, you don't have to tell me everything. I just want to know if there's something going on. If I were a bishop, I would say something like this. Hey, I know that it's really hard to be honest when you struggle with these things. And I want you to know I'm okay with the fact that you're not honest with me. It's okay. If you're not being honest with me, that's okay. Because I'll just keep meeting with you because I love you. So, and if there's more that needs to come out, then it can come out later. That's okay. I'll honor your journey, right? Or if you're a parent talking to your kid, you can say, hey, if you've done, and you can list them, right? So when I talk to a lot of people, I list all the bad things. So this young man I just sat down with, I'm like, guess what? I don't care if you've molested kids, child porn. I name all the ugly things and say, here's all of the ugly. If you've done any of those things, I still love you and I honor your story. And so anything you can do as a parent, friend, church leader to create that safety, because gravity is gravity. The facts are the facts. If you want to beat your head against a wall, go and tell them they have to be 100% honest. Say, I love you, but you need to work on this and get this out of your life. Say anything about the problem and how they need a change. And talk to me in a year when you still know nothing more than what you know when you listen to this podcast. (laughs) So... You know, that's why I say the the Terry real quote, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? I would say to any spouse, do you want to know the truth so you can make a decision about the relationship or do you want to stay in this place of trauma? Because there is a way to do it. It's hard and it's unfair, but that is where you are. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and again, it doesn't mean that there won't be consequences or that you can't en- enact boundaries or protect yourself. Mm-hmm. You're, we're just talking specifically about people telling their stories and getting the truth out is that there is an interaction effect because the secrets are based around shame and shame is relational and being able to create an environment where if you want to be the person that they tell their shame story to, whether you're the victim or not, you have to be somebody that they can tell that story to. And yes, it's their responsibility, but conditions do matter. And and it's really important to not pretend that there's not more there and to, like you said, just be somebody that can can really hear and receive the story. This is why a lot of people obviously benefit tremendously from additional support, therapy, structure, support to do this, especially around disclosure, because you're dealing with live ammo. I mean, it's just so delicate and difficult and so consequential, but uh, the conditions have to be right to do it. Otherwise, people won't talk. Well, and, and boundaries are fine. I know one story where the spouse said, I know that there's more going on, and I know that you're having a hard time disclosing that. So we're going to do separation. So you're moving out. Until we kind of get there. Because I I know that there's more and I know you're not ready to share it, which is fine, but I need healthy boundaries. So I'm not going to live in this house with you while I know you're holding a bunch of lies. So to me, that was the beautiful combination of she totally had boundaries and she gave her addict husband safety to share his story. So she was creating safe community for him while kicking him out of the house. Excellent. Like I applaud her. It's awesome. Right. That's what she needed was that space. And some people may not need that space. It's fine, but you can still create safety either way. Yeah. yeah. I totally Sway and Rachel's you. story. We have it on the podcast so you can listen to it. Oh, and, awesome. and so, yeah, creating that safety. And here's the other thing that I would bring up. I sat with my father-in-law after I'd acted out again, and he always makes the statement, if I had to quit eating chocolate, just give me the gun. 
So I was sitting with him after a whole nother round of all this disclosure, and he was like, hey, I don't get it. And I said, well, imagine how much you love chocolate. And imagine I said to you, you have to stop eating chocolate this second. And if you don't stop, and if you don't tell your wife every time, you know, my mother-in-law, every time that you eat chocolate, she, you're going to totally damage your relationship with her. If you don't stop eating chocolate, you're going to get kicked out of the church. You're going to lose your family and lose your marriage, maybe leave you and lose your job. And the light bulb clicked for him and he was like, oh yeah, that would be very difficult. And I said, that's my life. So for me, it's sexual. For you, it's chocolate. Chocolate, there's not a ton of consequences other than you're ruining your health. For me, there's major consequences, but the pattern's the same. So here's the value to for family members. An addict will help you change your life. You want to have a really good friend who will help you be self-reflective, help you to grow, help you come closer to Christ. Try loving an addict. Try being in an addict's community. It will change you because what they're taking on is extremely difficult. So to sit with someone and watch them try and take on something so difficult over and over again, and when it's hopeless to remain hopeful, and when it's crazy hard to be honest, to be honest, and watch them struggle with that process, you will feel blessed being close to them. It's hard. I love addicts and it bothers me. I have some addicts in my life that I'm like, why don't you just get it together? How hypocritical is that? So I get that it's hard to love an addict. Um, <laughs> right. But there is a lot of value in there because how many people do you know in your life are making huge radical change in their life? Like ask yourself, like in my inner circle, how many people are making monumental shifts in their life to move closer to God? I bet you not that many. Right, right. At least openly, right? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you can be in process with them and see it and feel mm-hmm. it and know it. So, you know, addicts need community because, and they need to share their story and there's some safe ways to do that. But also to have addicts in your community, even if you're not an addict, or if you're a, right, if you're, you know, a spouse, women struggling with betrayal trauma, to have other women who are struggling with betrayal trauma, even if you don't, just to hear their story and be in their community, it's going to be a two-way street. God has a crazy beautiful way of how he does that with all of this human connection. It's going to be a blessing going both ways. Yeah, I love that. And, and you know, most of us don't need to look very far or even go invite ourselves into that. There's everyone around us is struggling with something. And oftentimes just with some perception, some awareness, and even some good questions, we can start to open up people, you know, just really open up our own stories and also with other people start to really understand their own struggles. I mean, everybody is mood altering somehow. We're all trying to figure out how to, you know, Mm -hmm. um, manage difficult emotions and trauma and other kinds of things. And so I think there's an invitation available everywhere for us to, like you said, just really enter into a deeper process of inviting God into our struggles and make these life-changing decisions on a daily basis. I think, like you said, addiction is probably one of the most maybe dramatic or radical places where this is happening for people because the swings are so huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even in more subtle ways, we can still have these conversations and open up about our struggles and talk about- um, Absolutely. Right? Like the the battle, the struggle, the the longings, the desires. And absolutely, that's what changes us Mm -hmm. is, is that transparency. I think that's why Jesus hung out with really broken people all the time, right? Like he was really interested in like the, the people in society that nobody wanted to spend time with. Yeah. Um, and your community and, will tip. I'm to the point now, Jeff, that I, I can't fit anymore. I can't fit any more men in my life who are super authentic and awesome. I know too many super authentic and awesome men. I could spend 27 hours a day on the phone with incredible men who have awesome stories. And it's not because I'm anything special. It's because there's that many awesome people out there. 
And if you'll just open your heart, and that's true for everyone. I know God has community for everyone. If you can drop your judgment, look for understanding, not say my love is conditional based on you changing, instead just having, I want real connection and I want to share my story and know your story. I just want to be known and know you as opposed to, I want you to validate. I want you to judge me and tell me that I'm okay. And I want to judge you and tell you that you're okay or judge you and say, oh, good, you changed. Now everything's better, quotation marks. If you can leave that mindset to just a connection mindset, whether you're the addict, a betrayed spouse, or like you said, honestly, anyone, sharing story is one of the most powerful things we can do. And what's interesting is Jesus and everything we read in the scriptures, those guys shared story a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I look at I look at Joseph Smith, Nephi, these different characters, you know, these different people throughout history who put their worst stuff for us to all read and we feel so close to them. You know, I think about Elder Holland in conference opening up about his depression and and what that was like for him and how you just feel this real resonance, this real connection with him because we can relate. It's so it's just it happens and it, and it goes well. It just does. Opening up and talking about your story, if you're if you're still on the fence after listening to us talk about this for this long it's so worth the risk. It's going to go well. And I'll tell you a research piece on that to help. So AA, everyone talks about AA all the time. So you've got, so with Dr. Bob Bill W, the reason, one of the largest reasons they had AA remain anonymous is because what they realized is if an alcoholic was honest and open about where they were, there are so many people who would want to connect with them and get support from them that they feared that they would be overwhelmed by the amount of people who wanted to connect with them, and it would derail their personal recovery. That's what they learned from their research. So if you stand up in your elders quorum and say, hey, I'm addicted to porn, or I struggle with depression, or I hate my job, or I think my marriage is kind of a mess, like a real mess, like I'm in trouble, I can almost guarantee to you what will happen. You will get a bunch of me too stories. You will get a text Mm -hmm. after elders quorum. You'll get a guy that walks up to you. You'll get that same thing with the women. I would dare you to stand up in your Relief Society and say, my husband struggles with pornography addiction. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. I'm hurting. What happened? You might get one shame bringer that's bold enough to actually say something to you. It's very rare that that actually happens. But I guarantee you that woman will get 10 texts after or people coming to her house or conversations later that are like, oh my gosh, now that you were honest, I totally have a story too. And I want to talk to you and connect with you. So I'm telling you that's what's going to happen. Take a risk. Yeah, the second you get real about it, you're going to spark community. Yep. And it's, it's awesome. Happen. Do it. Yeah. Go for it. It's changed yeah. my life. Yeah. So people, in terms of telling stories and, and opening up about this, you know, with, with your efforts and telling your story in real time through the process of recovery, which again is really unique. I think like we've talked about, most people that share their recovery stories do it from a retrospective type perspective. And you're, you're taking this risk and opening up about the ups and downs, the reality of it. And like we've said, for people that are wanting to be more private about it, that's totally fine as well. The whole principle here is community. What other things would you say to people that are contemplating about how to tell story, how to tell their story, maybe some of the fears they might have about telling their story? What other thoughts or challenges or advice or counsel would you have for people that are just kind of sitting here going, yeah, but I couldn't do that. There's no way. Yeah, I I think one beautiful thing about addiction is you once you actually start to deal with it, dealing with your denial comes in pretty quick. Because like, you know, I could sit here and be like, oh, I'm in recovery. I don't have any problems. I'm fine. Well, I'm also excommunicated. So there's a little heat check for you, you know? So 
yeah, it's it's hard to see through some of those things. But here's if we had someone sitting here right now in the premise you you put them in, I would offer him this. If you're a Dave Ramsey fan, he says about financial, how people do financial stuff, normal is broke. Normal is broke. So when your friends go buy that bigger house, they're broke. Their retirement's not going to happen. Or when you say, well, normal people do this, normal people do that. Remember that normal is broke. No retirement, no wealth. That's normal, which is true in our country today. That's true. So I would say the same's true for recovery. Normal's broke. So if you're saying, that's weird to share your story. I want to do what all the normal people do, which is not share my story. I would just ask you, how's that working for you? And do you see a pattern of that with people where they seem super happy and very successful? Because the answer is no. If you're honest at all, the answer is no. Go sit in church next Sunday and look around and tell me how many people you feel are alive in Christ, that they have the light of Christ in their face, they're happy, they're joyful, right? There are some for sure. There's quite a few. I love the church. I love what's going on in the church. But go sit in your elders' corner relief society and tell me. There's a lot of normal that it's marginal. And so, you know, you kind of have the saying, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Okay, so you choose to reach out to some random dude in your ward and he totally rejects you and shames you. Okay, let's assume that's worst case scenario, right? And then he tells 10 people in your ward what you told him and it's totally shaming. Guess what? The reality is you're not close to those men in your ward anyways. You're not even friends. You barely know them. You walk around each other and say, hi, dude, did you see the game on Saturday? And that's it. You have no connection. So what's the risk? They don't like you. You don't even know them. Who cares? So that would be the advice I would get. The truth is it's actually pretty low risk. And the odds of you having real connection are really high. Yeah, I love, 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 love what you're saying about the normal, because a lot of the times I can't tell you over the years how many good guys I've worked with who are just struggling in my office going like, I just want to feel normal again. I said, oh yeah, no, (laughs) you don't. Normal's broke. Yeah. Normal was what kept you in your addiction. Normal is what kept you stuck and sick. The new normal, if you want to call it that, or is really about openness, progression, risk, uncertainty, vulnerability. It's a thrill. It's Uh like you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, but it is so much better than just staying safe, hidden, and perfectly insulated. And yeah, there's, like you said, there's no joy, there's no growth, there's no light there. And so, yeah, I hope if you're listening to this, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, just look around. It's easy to see what you're describing, Jeff, wherever they are, whatever community they're in, whatever ward, neighborhood, your office, your work, your family, just look around. Yeah. And if you've had a little taste of, of telling your story and opening up, then you know exactly what we're talking about here. And don't stop there. You may feel like, well, my support group is going to be you know, just a handful of people, two or three people, and it's going to stay small. That's fine. Like Opening up doesn't mean that you keep, like you said, keep adding people to your, to your list of people you've opened up to. That may be your path, but it's about keeping the people you are opening up to current. It's about you you know, it's, it's about keeping them apprised of what's going on with you and where you are in your journey and not editing parts out or leaving parts out that might make you look less successful or less desirable. Totally. And so to me, it's, it's not just a numbers thing. If te- you can tell a thousand people superficially how you're doing and manage that, or you can get really honest with one person and fully bear, you know, where you are and what your struggles are. And we know where the growth is going to be from that. So 
Absolutely. The power of connection. The power of connection is not a numbers thing. It's it's an honesty and it's a courage thing. Yep. And it's Second Timothy. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. So if you're afraid to do it, you don't even need to pray about it. You already know it's not God. So I love it. All right, Steve. So let's talk about one last time. Tell people how they can find you. And obviously, if they want to tell their stories, where they can do that. And then at least publicly with your organization. And just what are the resources you have available for the world here? Yep. So unashamedunafraid.com, or you can put in unashamed unafraid anywhere where you would listen to a podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen. Um, and then you can also find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at unashamed unafraid. All of our emails are there, but it's, you know, Stephen at unashamedunafraid.com or James at unashamedunafraid.com or Jason at unashamedunafraid.com. All of our, our whole team is there. So whoever you connect with, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't matter. We're all kind of in this together. And um, definitely we have some uh, resources kind of on our resources page. Um, you can find a 12-step meeting anywhere. There's great therapists, right? You're down in St. George. Jeff's awesome. When we first got on here, I'm like, dude, you know, you're a legend, right? And he's like, oh, I don't know, but it's true. And so there's a lot of help out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's where you can connect with us and connecting with us. We can point you to a million different things. So reach out. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing that if, if somebody even just felt like they wanted to, you know, take a risk and just shoot you an email or, or whatever about just opening it about their story and they just want to try it out there, I'm guessing that's okay. You guys would uh, receive it. Yeah, I, I'm obviously we can't see because we're an audio, but my audio guy here, Jason, he's just smirking because we get him all the time. So if, <laughs> if, you want, if you want to start your community with us, we would love it. And again, yeah. You can look at the bios of all the, of, of us five guys. I'm more than happy to take your email and talk to you. We can talk on the phone, text, whatever it is, send me an email. Or if you hear Chris and Autumn's story or James and Christy or anyone else on the team and you go, man, I connect with that guy, they would love to get an email from you and be part of your community. So yeah, you can start with us. You don't even know us. You can just send us an email. It's super safe. So normal's broke. Send us an email. <laughs> I love it. Steve, thanks so much for your willingness to put this out there. Of course, I just wish you and uh, Kayla all the best in your recovery as you go forward. But thank you for your willingness to just create community and uh, give people a safe place to, you know, to listen and to connect to these important stories. Thanks. And thank you for everything you're doing. Love what you're doing. So love this podcast. It's awesome. Everyone give him five stars on iTunes. <laughs> I'm serious. They should. Awesome. I appreciate the plug, man. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. You can follow Stephen and his organization at unashamedunafraid.com. You can find them on social media as well and anywhere podcasts are listed. They have a wonderful podcast where they invite other couples to tell their stories and they interview other therapist experts and they have a lot of great episodes. So please check them out. Once again, I want to thank Stephen and then of course his wife, Kayla, in the previous episode for being a part of the Illuminate podcast and bringing us their stories, sharing hope. And they would love to hear from you as well. So feel free to reach out to them and let them know what you thought of their interview and what they're doing in their organization. And if you'd love to tell your story and be a part of their community as well, I have no doubt that they would welcome you uh, and would love to interact with you and connect with you. Once again, I want to thank all of you for your wonderful support of this podcast and look forward to joining you in the next episode.